Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 245. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hey, before we get started, uh, let me ask you this question. Your story today, is it sad? Is it horrific? Is it It negative? It's not, it's not sad, no. Okay, good, because mine is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Just, just fair warning, mine's, mine's tragic and sad. Oh, great. Uh, But you get to go first. I'm very, very excited about hearing that. Okay. Um, So you remember many moon ago, uh, or many souls ago, however you want to go about that, Mm -hmm. we talked about body mods. And they were like traditional body modifications of certain tribes or peoples from days of yore. This was one of the the first 10 episodes we did, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a while ago. Because I remember um, you got to the part about the penis modifications. (gasps) That's right. And I got a little squeamish as my mom used to say. Yeah, and you were like, we want people to listen to this podcast. Why are you doing this? (laughs) Anyway, I thought we would revisit body modifications, but this time, more modern versions of it. So instead of like lip stretching and neck stretching and peen splitting, Mm -hmm. we're gonna talk about what people are doing these days. Okay. I thought we should start off with the Guinness Book world record holder, Rolf Buckholz. He has an astonishing 516 body modifications, and he's getting more, but he got his first body mod at 50. What? 50? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So he started late, Uh uh, but he just really focused on his goal and uh, (laughs) and headed out. Things like piercings, subdermal implants, that kind of stuff. His body is really something to be seen, and I'll definitely share a photo of it. But he's currently the Guinness World Record holder. Way to go, Rolf. Very proud of you. How old is he now? He's about 60. Wow. Well, I'm just picturing this retired guy uh, in a golf cart, (laughs) all modded up. (laughs) 
Well, of course he drives a golf cart. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um, that's a lot of effort. Like, I mean, that's a short period of time to get that many body modifications. That's and incredible. I'm, you know, I I schedule my tattoos like years apart because <laughs> I have to forget what it feels like to to go for the next one. I see. So he's really dedicated, obviously. Most of the people that we're talking about today are very dedicated. Ted Richards, for instance, he lives in Bristol, England, and he underwent a six-hour procedure to have his ears removed. What? So that he looks more like his bird. And that's a common theme (laughs) in a lot of these stories is um, the certain procedures are done to appear more like something. Well, I've I've seen um, a photo of a guy who had his tongue split. So that he would look more. Yeah, we're rep- getting to that one. Reptilian. Oh, he's in there. Yeah. Okay, I should have yeah. known. But to, to have your ears removed. Yeah, and he's got hit, the top of his head is um, shaved, and he's got it tattooed with like different colored feathers and such. I see. So he yeah. he looks like a bird. Is he is he gonna have some sort of rhinoplasty done to make him look like he has a beak? I think that's on the the list. Really? Um, but I'm not sure exactly what his his future plans are for his birddom. Henry Damon has undergone substantial body modification because he wants to look more like the Captain America villain Red Skull. So he's removed his nose. Wow. Maybe he could could lend it to the bird guy for a beak. Maybe. Or that guy from Cat Blue. Which we watched last night. Cat um, references to a mid sixties uh, <laughs> forty year old movies. Sixty year old movies. Yeah, right. is that right? Yes. Jesus. Yeah, I know. <sighs> anyway, sorry. Henry has tattooed his face red. Uh, he's also tattooed his eyes black. Wow, that's some dedication. He's got a very specific look he's going for, and he's not easily confused with other people. Is he independently wealthy? I don't know about his financial situation. Because that would make it difficult to, you know, apply for jobs. I hope not. How good a worker you are has nothing to do with what your face looks like. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that Listen, it does. Listen, world. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying that that's the reality of things. Well, I think it's less so than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Guy with black eyeballs and no nose. And I think he would have a difficult time getting a job as a bank teller, for example. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm mm-hmm. just saying it's the way the world is. You know I'm right. I don't know that you're right. I know that you don't want it to be that way. Neither do I. I think you're you're being a little bit of a shitbag right now. I love you. <laughs> no. I, I'm anyway. Just, I'm just telling it like it is. Ew. I know. I hate it when people say it's that. so gross. Because usually what they're saying in that case is... I take pride in being a dick. <laughs> yes. I wasn't going to put it quite that way, but, oh, okay. but, but yes. Eric Sprague was born in Kentucky, and he was born scaleless. However, <laughs> he, <laughs> he began his transformation becoming more like a, a reptile. He had his teeth sharpened. He has green scale tattoos all over his body he has the bifurcated bifur- he has the split tongue <laughs> <laughs> which is probably 
Even harder to say with a split tongue. <laughs> and subdermal implants. Before he got those, though, he was a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Albany and then decided instead that this is this is how he wanted to proceed as being like this reptile man. Wow. I love it. Now, I have a split tongue, but not like this. No. It's just because I have a fissured tongue and it looks weird. All right. <laughs> The kids in my family will be like, show us your gross tongue. Yeah, okay. it's it's really big at family barbecues. <laughs> a growing in popularity trend is extraocular implants, uh, also known as eyeball jewelry. Okay, now this is... Uh... This is getting uncomfortable for me because you know how I am about things in people's eyes. Well, I don't think a lot of people are way into eyeball poking. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> in this case, it's a cosmetic implant, which involves a small piece of decorative jewelry, which is implanted in the sclera of the human eye. So the American Academy of Ophthalmology said in a statement that it's not been identified, uh, there's no sufficient evidence to support that it's safe or unsafe at this point. So it's a toss-up. Bill, it's relatively new. Basically, what they do is they take a tiny pair of scissors and they cut a slit in the, the first couple layers of your eyeball, yeah. and then they slide the jewelry into the pocket of the that you've made with the scissors. Uh, people who've had this procedure done say that for a couple days, it feels kind of like you've got something in your eye. Well, I was going to ask that. I mean, I, it drives me crazy if I get a little eyelash yeah. in there or something. And but, I really I've, I have to go lay down. But after a couple of days, you you get used to it. And that's just how your eye mm. feels now. Wow. Um, it is not permanent. Like you can have it removed if you want to. Uh, but overall, this isn't a traumatic procedure it's pretty low impact really because the the top few layers of your eyeball they're easily healed and and it doesn't affect your vision it doesn't affect your vision okay. at all wow and there are some pictures that I'm happy to share of some people who've had it done I actually watched a video of it being done no you know it's kind of cute <laughs> What the the procedure? No, not the not the procedure, but the end result. Okay. Like there's this one girl who has a little platinum heart in her eye, and mm. it's it's kind of cute. Okay. It's kind of sweet. Like when she goes to clubs, it her eyes are shiny. Okay. Yeah. Well, to each their own. <laughs> I don't want people jamming shit in my eyeballs. Yeah, Thank you look you. really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> not as bad as the whole peen splitting thing no, from the first not. episode that you did on this stuff. <laughs> Lucky Diamond Rich is a guy who has so many tattoos that he ended up getting tattoos on his tattoos. So hmm. his entire body is tattooed. His real name is Gregory Paul McLaren. And he is a performance artist, a street performer. He does uh, art festivals, uh, juggling and unicycling and that kind of thing. So he started off with regular tattoos, but then he decided that he would tattoo his entire body black, including his gums. And then he started putting tattoos on top of his black skin. He holds the Guinness Book of World Records title for the most tattooed man. He's got the inside of his eyelids tattooed. 
How is that procedure handled? Don't know. The inside of his mouth is tattooed. His ears and his foreskin are tattooed. Oh, good Lord. Ouch. He is considered 100% tattooed. Like, what you can tattoo, he has tattooed. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, now, a, that's a lot of ink. It really and truly is. Wow. I mean, I think about my sessions, and I'm like, man, this is long. <laughs> this takes forever. And I've got, like, only a couple. You've got, what, five, six tattoos? It's hard to really count because you do have, like, one tattoo, and then you did a frame around it. So is that technically two tattoos or one tattoo? I don't know. And then I have a cover-up. So is that one or two? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? A new thing happening that's kind of like a tattoo hybrid, they're calling it. It's a tattoo and piercing combination. Huh. There's one woman in particular who has had this done, and she calls it tribal body armor. So she has tribal tattoos, and then she had jewelry made to match her tattoos, and then the jewelry is subdermally attached to her tattoos. So let's say she has a lightning bolt. That's not actually what she has, but let's say she has a lightning bolt. Uh, tattooed on her. Mm -hmm. And then she has a custom piece of jewelry in a slightly smaller lightning bolt, and that is attached to her skin. So it's almost like she has body armor. Wow. I bet that looks really cool. It kind of does. So the metal tattoo enhancements like make her tattoos almost 3D. I don't know. It's interesting. And 3D tattoos are a thing. So you're seeing this more lately too, especially (laughs) uh, booby lady tattoos. You get the tattoo of your busty lady, you know, she's maybe wearing little Daisy Dukes Mm -hmm. and a little gingham shirt tied just below her uh, overflowing bosoms. (laughs) Breastal region. Her breastal region. And then uh, subdermal implants. Wait, is that? Yeah. Subdermal implants are put in under her oh, bust. I see. So it's like 3D titties wow. Wow. for your uh, arm enjoyment. That, <laughs> uh, that's that's dedication. That I, I think is uh, really interesting and fun and could go in a lot of really interesting directions. Yes, yes, it like, could. What if you got a little amusement park and mm. you got subdermals so like the roller coaster is raised and you know you could get like a little map on your body and have it sure topographically sure. correct yeah but back to the boobies one could have like gel implants mm-hmm. and so they could jiggle yeah you could just put those like orbs in there sure that's probably not a good idea i don't yeah. know what those are filled with so why do people do this Maria Jose Cristerna claims that it was her history of domestic violence, which she suffered at the hands of her ex-husband, which caused her to reinvent herself. So she calls herself the vampire woman. She's a mother of four, and she had titanium horns implanted into her head. Wow. She said that they were a representation of strength. She always admired uh, vampires and, like, loved vampire stories when she was a kid, and they always seemed so strong and self-sufficient. So she kind of modeled her look after vampires with this idea that it would give her internal strength. Well, I would think that not only does it um, give her the sense that she's recreating herself, Mm. but um, also... It's like she's taking back the power. Yeah, absolutely. Well, once her body was controlled by her ex, and now she's taking control and doing what she wants with her body. She has added fangs, 
So she has like legit fangs. They're they're pretty nice. And she didn't just have her teeth sharpened. She has had teeth added. And I don't know exactly how that process works. Like implants? Uh, but she like her eye teeth. Oh, yeah. I yeah. right now. That's not helping you at all. She's <laughs> had I'm guessing it's like a veneer kind of process ah. where she has legit fangs and they kind of look hot. Really? I'm just saying. Okay. She's had quite a few modifications. She's had her eyes altered to make her look more like a vampire. They're like these piercy blue eyes. She is currently the world record holder for the woman with most body modifications. She's a former lawyer, and she's also had transdermal implants on her chest, arms, many piercings, and so on and so forth. She's a former lawyer. Yeah. That's too bad because I would love to hire her for any kind right? of legal legal issues I might have. Can you Your imagine? Your Honor, I object. Okay. Yes, yep. fine. Yep, uh-huh. sure. Absolutely. We have to wrap this case up because, well, the sun's coming up. So <laughs> I need to go home. While doing this, and I think we talked about this uh, during the first body modifications conversation we had. Of course, cosmetic surgery of any kind is a body modification. Mm -hmm. And no, Mm -hmm. you may not be getting piercings and tattoos and such, but if you're having liposuction, that's a body mod. Sure, sure. Cindy Jackson is a woman who has had more cosmetic surgeries than any other person in the world. She's in her 50s. What's her last name? Jackson. Ah, must run in the family. (laughs) She's... She uh, is in her 50s. She does. She looks great. She's been able to maintain like a normal person look. You know how sometimes cosmetic surgeries give you a kind of not natural look. So sometimes you see you uh, end up looking like a cat uh, or a stretched painting. Yes. (laughs) Oftentimes they end up looking like Lady Cassandra O'Brien from Doctor Who. Missed me. Missed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she uh, she's just had all of the all of the stuff. So she's had lip fillers. She's done the Botox. She's had liposuction. She's had the eyes lifted. She's had facelifts. She's had her nose redone. Uh, you know, it's all the things. Mm-hmm. And she just says, I don't want to look in the mirror and see an old person. So that's, mm-hmm. you know everyone's got their right to to body mod. And for some reason, something in me, I always kind of prickle at the idea of that much cosmetic surgery, but I don't prickle at the idea of a ton of tattoos or a ton of piercings. So what is it about me that's, that's you know, yeah. viewing those things differently? Yeah, and that's, I, was... I, I want to explore that and like, how, why am I shitty? Like yeah, what no, makes me a dick bag? I was, I was going to point that out. Not that you're shitty in a dick bag, <laughs> but that uh, you're all for you know, piercings and body mods of that nature, but you you always kind of like poo-poo plastic surgery. I don't poo-poo it. I think you can do whatever you want with your body, obviously. It just, I think that I, I view, and please don't think, I mean, I'm exploring this because I want to be a better person. Mm. So I think I see cosmetic surgery as a vanity thing yeah. and body mods like tattoos and piercing as a self-expression thing. Okay. Okay. So, well, no, I understand that. I understand that. But um, we need to explore that deeper. I know. I need to go back to therapy <laughs> because it's not cool. I mean, you know, maybe I want to express myself with big fucking tits. Yeah. You know, that's that's totally fine. Sure. 
It's, I don't know. I think it's something that comes from instilled thoughts rather than, mm. you know, how you kind of always have that that feeling and maybe you haven't explored why you feel that thing. So well, Maybe you feel that way because, as you mentioned, you see tattoos and body piercings and subdermal implants uh, as a form of expression and maybe rebellion a mm -hmm. little bit, whereas... Traditional plastic surgery, you look at it as people trying to trick you. Not not trick me, but it's more, I think, sometimes plastic surgery is presented as a way to make you fit in. Like, my nose is too big, I need rhinoplasty. Mm. Like, what is too big? Mm -hmm. Why does anyone else get to say, you know, but maybe, you know, so... Yeah. No, I... I get that. I, I think get that. on every in every situation, you have to look at the individual and and why they're doing it. And geez, it doesn't affect me at all right, why you're doing right. it. So yeah, I you shouldn't wanna... view it differently either way. Doesn't matter if you want a bird's beak or big titties. Right. It shouldn't matter. Whatever makes you feel good. Right. Yeah. And and that's exactly whatever makes you feel good. And if that means a nose job, great. If it means getting your ears shaped. Great. I wanted to have this conversation because I don't want to have those those preconceived notions that someone who gets liposuction is vain and someone who gets piercings isn't. Yeah. Like that's not accurate. Mm. I'm sure there's some vain ass multiple pierced people. <laughs> like <laughs> So <laughs> I don't know. I just want to be a better person and here's me showing you how I'm not. You are so vulnerable and I <laughs> and I love that. I love that so Shut much. Up. Anyway, that's what I have for you, uh, is you, me. I'm a dick. You're not a dick. Sorry. And now, that thing in the middle. Here are some domain names for websites that people really didn't think through. Number five. It's a website for elegant writing instruments. It's called Pen Island. Unfortunately, <laughs> their, their domain name is penisland.net. Well, at least that's what it looks like. It's really Pen Island, but... Penis land. Number four, a website where you can recycle your old tech. The company is called IT Scrap. The website looks like it's crap.com. <laughs> Number three, there is a, um, a service online that helps you find a therapist near you. It's called the Therapist Locator. But the, oh, no. The website says, looks like it's saying the Rapist Locator. Dot net. Actually, that would be a, a helpful service. You know, I'm obsessed with that sex offenders registry oh, website. Yeah, yeah. Number two, a database for talent representatives. The company is called whorepresents.com. The website looks like whorepresents.com. They give the best gifts. Number one, an art website. It's called Speed of Art. <laughs> uh, the website looks like speedofart.com. <laughs> The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. 
As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. You're listening to the box of... Oh, great. Guy dropped a cue card. Well, pick it up. A little higher, a little left, a little left there, 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 stop. <clears throat> this is the box of oddities. Plocky sent us an email. Uh, that's P-L-O-K-I, uh, curator at theboxofoddities.com. I have a mystery I want to share. My wife and I are truck drivers, and we have one personal car that stays in a gated parking lot in Memphis, Tennessee, while we're on the road. A few weeks back, we returned from a trip and found a Coca-Cola light bottle cap in the driver's side floorboard. Now, neither my wife nor I drink Coke, let alone diet soda. I figure if you're going to die, you might as well enjoy the sugar. <laughs> no one has access to our car. It has not been left with any mechanics or any other situation that this could have been introduced. To make this even stranger, Coca-Cola Light isn't even sold in the Americas. It appears to be from somewhere in Europe. And I can confirm we nor anyone else that we know who has been in this car, has ever been overseas. Wow. Has our car been visited by an interdimensional traveler? Some quantum fluke? Time travel? Hmm? <laughs> wow. I didn't even know that Coke Light was a thing. Me neither. Never heard of it. All right. So tell me the terrible thing. <laughs> All right. Prepare your pork taint. <laughs> it was a typically hot summer afternoon on July the 6th, 1944, in Hartford, Connecticut. There was excitement in the air because the circus had come to town. Ooh. Now, back in those days, that was a big deal. Yeah. In the mid-20th century America, according to Wikipedia, a typical circus traveled from town to town by train, performing under a huge canvas tent, commonly called the Big Top. The Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus was, of course, no exception. In fact, they were the biggest one. They were the largest circus in the country. In fact, the Big Top could hold up to 9,000 spectators Whoa! under their tent. How do you even manage that? Like when I take a tarp off the kayaks, I can't fold it. <laughs> so how do you even manage a tent of that size? The circus had been experiencing shortages of personnel and equipment as a result of the U.S.'s involvement in World War II. Oh, okay. So delays and malfunctions in what normally would be an ordinarily smooth order of uh, things at the circus had become commonplace. So the circus arrived in Hartford, Connecticut on July 5th of 1945. The trains were so late that one of the two shows scheduled for that day had, had to be canceled. Now, 
there's a circus superstition that missing a show is considered extremely bad luck. Well, it's a lot less money, so I guess that is bad luck. But that night, July 5th, 1944, the evening show, it ran as planned. Many circus employees had their guard up. They were concerned that something was going to happen on that show, but nothing did. However, the next day, mm-hmm. Thursday... I never like a however. The crowd at the afternoon performance, was it was packed. And it was dominated mostly by women and children because the war. Yeah. Estimates are that about 8,000 people were there. Wow. For the afternoon performance. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a lot of people to put under a tent. It sure is. So the Lions had just finished performing. The show had uh, gone off really well. People were enjoying themselves. Uh, the Lions had just left. The great Walendas, you know, the trapeze high mm-hmm. wire act. They had just begun their death-defying high-wire act uh, when the circus band abruptly changed the song they were playing to the Stars and Stripes Forever. And there was a reason for that. This was a prearranged signal to circus workers that something was wrong. Oh, okay. And in this case, very wrong. That's an excellent plan. It's like you hear that tune and you're like, oh, shit. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to take a break. Okay, everybody, just stay in your seats. Nothing's going on here. Don't look at stuff. So the Walendas had just got up on the high wire Mm -hmm. and they hear the Stars and Stripes play. The Lions are being escorted out Mm -hmm. down the ramp. Uh, So the Walendas scampered down quickly. The ringmaster goes over to the center of the ring and he urged the audience not to panic because a fire had broken out. Oh, jeez! And it was the circus band leader, Merle Evans, who first spotted the flames. So he got the band to play Stars and Stripes pretty quickly. The circus performers reacted accordingly, mm-hmm. but the power failed. And so even though the ringmaster, whose name was Fred Branda, was urging the audience not to panic and to leave in an orderly fashion, no one could hear him. They unsuccessfully tried to maintain some sort of order. Yeah, it's really hard to tell 8,000 people to stay calm, but also get out. Everybody panicked. Yeah. They tried to flee the big top. By the time it was over... Over 700 people were severely injured. Holy shit. And 168 people died. What? 100. Just trying to get out? 100 were were children. Many of those people were burned to death. Many others died as a result of the... Trampling. The trampling and the chaos. The number of actual injuries is believed to be higher than those figures because a lot of people who were seen that day were just heading back home in shock. They didn't seek any kind of treatment okay. uh, in the city. So the injuries probably were a lot higher than, than 700. It's commonly believed that the number of fatalities is higher than the estimates given due to the poorly kept residency records in rural towns and the fact that some smaller remains were never identified or claimed. Jesus. So what, your kid is smashed to death in a circus folly, Mm. and you just go home and be sad about it, but didn't claim your dead baby? Like, how how does that... The thing is, they gave away a lot of free tickets that they were were handed out the day of around the city. Would there have been kids there by themselves? Yes. (gasps) Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Some said that a lot of children just showed up on their own. Also, there were drifters who were just coming through the area 
and got free tickets and went and nobody knew they were going and nobody knew where they were to begin with. Some died from injuries sustained after leaping from the tops of bleachers in hopes that they could escape under the sides of the tent, though that method of escape ended up killing more than it, than it saved. Others died being trampled by other spectators, some asphyxiated underneath the piles of people who uh, fell over each other. Most of the dead were found in piles, some three bodies deep in some of the most congested exits. A small number of people were found alive at the bottom of these piles, protected by the bodies that were on top of them. The burning big top came down on top of them and they still survived because there were dead people. Because there were dead people. Whoa. So the main reason for the high death and injury count was twofold. Of course, the widespread panic. That was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. The other part was how rapidly the fire spread. Well, I mean, it's a it was a tent. So how how fire retardant is that? Well, it's even worse than you think. As I mentioned uh, before, when the first when the fire first broke out, the Lion Act had just finished. The big cats were being herded through the chutes, leading from the uh, performing cages to several cage wagons. While the lions were unharmed, except for a few minor burns, witnesses said that uh, many people inside the tent simply ran in circles trying to find their loved ones, which is you know which created a lot more chaos and of panic. Rather than trying to escape from the burning tent, some escaped but uh, but ran back inside to look mm. for family members. Others stayed in their seats until it was too late. They figured that somebody would put the fire out and they'd be fine. This is, I mean, I'm not sure what the tent material is made of. It was canvas. A canvas. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is why I always carry a knife in my purse. Because you don't need to find an exit. You make an exit. Yeah, that's true. That doesn't work out so well in airports. No, it never has. How many knives have they confiscated? So many. (laughs) Another problem was two of the exits were blocked by the chutes that were being used to move the cats in and out of the tent. Oh. Uh, People trying to escape could not bypass them. So that also limited the, um, the exit options. But the big thing was the fire spread so quickly, much faster than anyone would have expected. And the reason was the big top tent roof had been waterproofed two months earlier. And here's the waterproofing recipe. No. A mixture of four parts Texaco white gasoline and one part... What the fuck? One part standard oil company paraffin wax. Holy shit. So that was poured onto the canvas tarp and brushed into the fabric with brooms. And this was this was typical. This was common. Why? It, what? Yeah, it, it seems obviously that it would be an extreme fire hazard to pour gas on canvas. But back then, it was a common method of waterproofing. Uh, the top burned incredibly fast. Yeah. And I'm guessing it's like burning and then dripping fiery canvas down onto people. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't waterproof the sides of the tent. So that allowed people, some people, to escape through cuts in the side of the tent. It's uh, possible that the fact that they did not waterproof the sides of the tent saved thousands of lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even though the death and injury tally was so high, the vast majority of those people got out. Right. Forever traumatic brain shit going on. Oh, God, that's awful. It was only minutes and the entire top of the tent was engulfed in roaring flames. Donald Gale, a 10-year-old, 
and seven-year-old Elliot Smith were attending the circus with family and friends when they became trapped near different exits. Elliot got stuck near the exit where the animal chutes were blocking the path, and he never lost consciousness as people fell on top of him. Donald, near another exit that had bottlenecked just before the roof collapsed, passed out as the bodies fell, and they kept him safe from the flames. Both of the boys were rescued by firemen, who were putting out the remains of the fire and were removing the bodies. They talked about their experience in great detail on the program Disasters of the Century, uh, decades after, of course, the the event. God, that's terrible. I can't imagine how scary that would be to have people like just piling on oh. top of you. Well, you know the, the tent well, around you, you is, yeah. is like a raging inferno. Oh. One of the survivors of the fire, Maureen Krekian, discussed her ordeal Uh, This was in 2007. She was 11 years old at the time and lived on the same road where the circus was held. On that day of the event, she was supposed to go to the circus with a woman next door and her daughter. When she went to their house, she found that they had already left without her. So she decided to go to the circus on her own where uh, she seated herself in the bleachers. She said, I remember somebody yelling and seeing a big ball of fire near the top of the tent, and this ball of fire just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. By that time, everyone was panicking. The exits were blocked with cages that animals were brought in and out of, and there was a man taking kids and flinging them up and over the cage to get them out. I was sitting up on the bleachers and jumped down. I was three quarters of the way up. You jumped down and it was all straw underneath. There was a young man, a kid, who had a pocket knife and he slit the tent open, took my arm and pulled me out. As she was being pulled out, she grabbed another little girl's arm and pulled her out too. Jesus. So you're right. Pocket knife is the answer. Right. Always. Do you know who Charles Nelson Riley is? I do. The actor, the theater director, the perennial match game panelist. He was 13 years old and he was there. No. He survived the fire, obviously. And it was dramatized in the film of his stage show, The Life of Riley, in a 1997 interview. Charles Nelson Riley said that he rarely attends theater anymore, even though he's a director, since the sound of a large audience in a theater reminds him of the large crowd at the circus before the uh, disaster. I would imagine some post-traumatic stress is severe in so many of these people. He also said during his show that his mother, whom he had disobeyed after she told him to not go to the circus on that day with his friend, caught them sneaking out of the house, and she scolded him, saying, I hope the tent burns to the ground. No. Woo. Never, ever say that to your children. Never. That's terrible. Frida Pushnik. She performed in the circus as the armless and legless wonder. That must have been pretty scary for her. Oh, shit. She was rescued by uh, a minstrel show performer. She could not, obviously, have gotten away on her own. But this performer rushed on stage, picked up her chair, and carried her to safety. Pushnik continued to perform with the circus until 1955. Um. Those who survived carried the trauma, of course, for decades. Yeah. 70 years after the fire, Carol Tillman Parrish, who was six at the time, said... Until this day, I can smell the stench of human flesh as the blaze consumed its victims. Judith Shapiro survived the fire. She was seven at the time, attending with neighbors. They exited up higher on the stands and survived by jumping off. Judith refused to jump, so somebody pushed her off and was able to escape. According to Ranker, the best-known victim of the circus fire was a young blonde girl. 
She was wearing a white dress. They only know her as Miss 1565, which was her morgue number. She was oddly well-preserved even after her death. Her face became the most familiar image of the fire. She remained anonymous, even though every effort was made to find her family. Her photo was widely circulated in an attempt to find them, but no one came forward. In 1991, it seemed like Hartford's Fire Lieutenant Rick Davey had finally found her name, Eleanor Cook. As happy as some people were to give her an identity, some others believe that it's wrong and that her name is actually Sarah Graham. Either way, she's buried alongside a boy who may have been her brother, Edward Cook. He died that day as well. There are five people still listed as missing from this circus fire. Wow. Two children, three adults. And according to the Hartford Current, In October of last year, 2019, at Northwood Cemetery, state medical examiner and state officials exhumed the bodies that are only known as number 2109 and number 4512. They plan to remove several bones from the cemetery vault, and they were looking to use DNA to finally solve some of the still unanswered questions regarding identity of, of, of people. The family of a woman named Grace Fifield. This woman uh, was at the circus that day. And she was never identified, and they had requested this exhumation. Mm -hmm. The chief state medical examiner said in February of this year, 2020, that the DNA of the two Hartford Circus Fire victims exhumed last October does not match the DNA of the granddaughter of Grace Fifield. But while Fifield may still be missing, the effort to unravel the mystery of what happened to her and to identify the two women who were exhumed is not ending. The state has turned the DNA over to the DNA Doe Project to do further DNA testing with the goal of using the cutting-edge genetic testing that you and I both love so much. Colleen Fitzpatrick, co-founder of the DNA Doe Project, said that because the bodies were badly burned and the victims had been buried for 75 years, that it could be difficult to achieve a whole genome sequencing that is necessary to get to the next step. They said they thought it might take at least four months to get the results. Uh, It's been five months as of the recording of this podcast. Hopefully we'll get some answers sometime soon. But I am excited to know that they are using genetic databases in DNA to try to finally identify these six people. That's amazing that they're still working at that. Yeah. My information came from Ranker Wikipedia and the Hartford Current. Um, They call that the day the clowns cried. Well, that's not. Yeah. don't. I don't care for that. Well, there was a famous picture of Emmett Kelly, you know, the famed clown. He was mm-hmm. the first one who did the uh, the sad clown Oh, no, face. I didn't. I don't know that. Yeah. There was a picture of him in his sad clown makeup carrying a bucket of water to, oh, put, to put the fire out. And so because he was a sad clown yeah. and because he was putting out a fire that was killing kids, people called it the day the clowns cried. And the picture of that little girl, yeah, she looks like she's sleeping. Oh, jeez. She doesn't look injured at all. That's so heartbreaking, knowing that there were children who were there unaccompanied mm. and may never be yeah. accounted for. And the fact that a lot of uh, kids were just given tickets around town and showed up on their own, what a nightmare that must have been when uh, kids weren't coming home and parents realized that the circus burned to the ground. Yeah. Of course, that would have also been a really great way to get away from an abusive relationship is be like, okay, well, we escaped the fire, but then just go home and be like, we're going to the circus and then take (laughs) off. I love how you always find the silver lining. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'm, I've, I watched Sleeping with the Enemy at a very young age, so I'm always okay. plotting how to get away. Well done, madam. Thanks to those of you who have uh, decided to become a member of the Order of Freaks. You're supporting the Box of Oddities by doing so. You can uh, join the Order and receive for your effort. Every episode is ad-free. Uh, you get them a day early. And you also get access to the back channel as well as a bonus episode. And you can sign up to be a member of the Order of Freaks and support this podcast by going to the Box of Oddities. We'll see you next time. Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020 All Rights Reserved